Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostude Tapta Kanchana Gurangi Radhe Brindavanishwari Vishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Shigurya Vaishnav Guru Paramparaki Jai Sri Jiva Goswami Ki Jai Satsandarvas ki jai, Anantakota Vaishnavinda ki jai. Glorious devotees, we will continue today with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarva. We will end our discussion here on the Paramatma Sandarva and, <clears throat> excuse me, Uh, proceed in our next discussion to the Krishna Sandarbha, which will be much more in-depth. We will continue where we left off. The universe is a product of Shakti Parinam, not Vivart. This section deals with the fact that the universe the Lord's material manifestation is actually a expansion of his very being, his very self. Separated it is, but it is still a Shakti of his, as opposed to the philosophy of the Advaitins, which is, it is simply an illusion, Vivarta. So we'll read a little from the 58th Anucheta. So, it is to be concluded that Bhagavan's transrational power alone is the cause of the appearance of duality. Therefore, although by his very own intrinsic nature is altogether free from change or modification, he transforms, to, transforms into the form of the universe and so on through his transrational power, just as a philosopher's stone or a chintamani gem can produce anything desirable, and just as a magnet can move a piece of iron from afar. This has been accepted by Sri Vyasudeva. Brahman is the creator because the Shruti says so. Brahman is understood only through the Vedas. So, as we discussed a little last class, uh, this transrational power, achinta, uh, is very central to the Gaudiya understanding of the Supreme Lord, achinta, beta, beta, tattva. And how to understand that the Supreme Lord can be simultaneously non-dual reality, in other words, not affected in any way by change or modification, um, Vedanti tat tat bhavidas tat bhamyas jnanam advayam, that non-dual substantive can be seen differently. But we also see that his shaktis are coming forth from him and how to understand that he can remain transcendent to them and still maintain his non-dual nature while manifesting a world composed of duality. This is transrational. It doesn't, generally, when there is a cause and an effect, the effect is somewhat akin to the cause from which it comes. But here we have the amazing situation where the Supreme Lord is manifesting the material 
universe, universes, from his very being, from Brahman, as it's stated here by Srila Vyasadeva, quoting the Vedanta Sutra. Brahman is the creator because the Shruti says so. And Brahman is everything. So, as explained, this is core to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Continuing, Jiva Goswami writes further here, thus, because he has such potencies, it is not proper to define the word maya in a material way, way to mean magical knowledge, as in the case of the apparently inconceivable actions of a magician. Rather, according to the etymological der derivation of the root ma, maya, is that energy by which wondrous varieties are produced, meaning that it is the potency that produces wonderful objects, vichitrata. I'm sorry, vichitrartha. Therefore, the conclusion of the scriptures is that the world is only a transformation, parinam, of paramatma. This has also been discussed in Bhagavat Sandarbha, in the 39th Anucheta. So this is, as I said, core to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and also stands in direct opposition to the radical non-dualism of Sankaracharya. Sankaracharya's radical non-dualism, which we commonly refer to as Mayavad philosophy, um, conceives of the whole material manifestation as simply a an illusion. And they have so many wonderful ways of word jugglery wherein they apparent where they utilize statements from the Vedas and to 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 give an explanation for their philosophy. But unfortunately their explanation, or interpretation is, is, not, is not based in, first of all, it's not a logical approach to the Vedic conclusion because they, they pick and choose those portions which they can use, those statements in the Vedas which they can use, like Tatwamasi, you are that, you are Brahman, uh, instead of, as we know, Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu also uh, has his own translation, you are his. So it, is, it, it, it revolves around the conception of what is Brahman. If Brahman has no distinct characteristics, then you can't be his. You can only be Brahman. So, Jiva here, directly in his Paramatma Sandarbha, is putting forth a foundational basis of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which, which first of all, stands in opposition to those misconceptions of radical non-dualism put forth by Sankaracharya, and also clarifies the understanding of the supreme absolute truth according to the conclusions of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And as we go back and look at the significance of that uh, from his opening discourse in the Tattva Sandarbha, uh, it's very important that this achinta, inconceivable nature of the Supreme Lord 
be taken into consideration. We're not going to be able to explain how Brahman, which is free of any modification, which is free of, of any duality, can manifest a potency where from there is a manifestation of the material creation. It, it's, there's no logic that can be used unless we go to the unless we go to the logic that Jiva just mentioned. If we can take into consideration that a magnet, even from some distance, can move iron particles. Or if we had some experience of a Chintamani gem that can transform anything else um, due to its power and still itself remain unchanged. Moving the, moving the filings of iron does not change the magnet itself. The Chintamani gem is not changed in any way when it's used to make a magical transformation of a substance from one form into another. So similarly, Brahman, the supreme absolute truth, no matter how you view that absolute truth as Brahman, as Paramatma, or as Bhagavan, no matter what your transcendental viewpoint is of that absolute truth, still the manifestation of the material universe is not simply, simply a slight hand. It's not simply something that it, it appears to be real, but it's not really there. No, the point being made here by Jiva Goswami is the material universe is, it, universe is real, it's substantive, because it is a transformation of Brahman. And that transformation of Brahman becomes a Shakti. So the Lord, and although the universe is coming from Brahman, it's not affecting Brahman. How is that? That's a chinta. That's inconceivable. Going on in the same line of thought, there in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, which Jiva just mentioned, it was also concluded that the absolutely untransformed existent Paramatma is transformed by his own inconceivable potency. By this, it is to be understood that the transformation undergone by Paramatma is not that of his essential being, Swarup. Rather, it is only that of his potency called Dravya, elementary substance or matter, in the form of the evolutes, Vyuha emanating from but a semblance of his essential being, endowed with the quality of existence sought alone. The Shintamani gem also functions similarly. Therefore, because the universe is rooted in Paramatma, the principle that he is its upadan, or constitu uh, constituting cause, is not disproven. So again, we see the, the absolute glory of Jiva Goswami's Sundarbas. He goes, he goes so deeply into unpacking what's there in the Srimad Bhagavatam, 
unpacking it and laying it out step by step. And his steps in the Sandarbhas are called Anucheda, sections. Section by section, he unpacks the philosophy, the philosophical gems of the Bhagavat Purana and, and builds from those gems the most wonderful appreciation for the Supreme Lord. And this is why Jiva Goswami is considered one of, if not the greatest philosophing, philosopher scholar that there is. This is just to, to look at transcendence in such deep in such a detailed and comprehensive manner so much so that we find in his sandarbhas that if he cannot find an opposing viewpoint that's come up somewhere but he needs that Purvapaksa, that opposition, in order to bring out Siddhanta, he, he himself will come, will put forth that objection in his Sandarbha and then address it. So he, this, this is, this is just an amazing and, and the, the acharyas, we can only just stand and and in awe and reverence of their of their amazing transcendent abilities. This is this is not of of a human origin itself, whether it be Jiva Goswami and his putting forth of the Sandarbhas and his putting forth of 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 arguments that others haven't, haven't even thought of, or whether it be Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his uh, elaborate commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam, putting forth the dialogue from Krishna himself in his commentaries in order to further unpack the meaning of the Bhagavatam. Again, these these Gaudiya Vaishnavs, which, which somehow or other we have been so blessed with, with coming in this line of disciplic succession, they have, they have given the most amazing opportunity to, to humanity. And it's all coming under the auspices of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sankirtan movement. Go lo care premadan hari nam sankirtan. This hari nam sankirtan is bringing down to us the highest conception. And we look at these highest conceptions, the depth that's that's gone into to bring out these points. Just not, it's not. It's nice, of course, to, to appreciate the Supreme Lord and say, in seven days, he created the universe. <laughs> okay, he created it, but what did he make it from? <laughs> what, what were the ingredients of that from which? From the clay. From the clay he molded man. Where did he get the clay? <laughs> what, what was the source? Was there a river? Where was the river coming from? What was the source of that river? And what was the source of the soil on the side of the river from which the clay came, from which the man was, you know, molded? So for us to, to be able to look deeply and more deeply, and even more deeply, we never come 
there's never going to come to a, we're never going to come to a point where we're completely going to be able to understand with mundane logic and reasoning how this magnificent material manifestation uh, works. What to speak of, of completely comprehending the Lord's transcendental realm. But still, it's exciting to, to enter into these understandings as put, as put forth by the Acharyas, because entering into this dialogue, studying these dialogues, taking advantage of, of what they've contributed, and, and using our intellect to, to try to ap apprehend. And as we go through life and continue to do this, more and more transcendental revelation comes in the form of finer and finer discrimination and understanding. And this brings us to, to such an absorption that every bit of that absorption becomes relishable. And we, we get to the stage of steadiness, nista. We get to the stage of ruchi, where, we, where we're relishing every bit of it in some way, this devotional practice. Some are relishing the philosophy. Some are more than the leela. Some are relishing the leela. Some are relishing the service. Some are relishing the chanting. <laughs> and so many ways where we come to this platform of ruchi and gradually this becomes more and more focused on the personality that's creating this appreciation and the and this and the spiritual taste that comes with that appreciation a shakti and then bhav and then praying Going on, therefore, the cons constituting or phenomenal cause, Upadan, of the universe is sometimes called Brahman and sometimes Pradhan. The modifiable potency, Parinam Shakti, called Maya, is also described as being twofold. The instrumental part, Namita, known as Maya, and the phenomenal part, upadan, the constituting, constituting, I'm sorry, ingredients known as pradhan. And then, as we know, pradhan manifests mahatattva, and then from the mahatattva, the elements come forth and the, and the various uh, sense perceptions. And of course, then the senses come. All this is completely and elaborately unpacked within the Bhagavatam itself. Jiva continues here, the distinction between the two is that the one that consists of potency alone is instrumental, nimitta, whereas that composed of its emanations or evolutes, vyuha, is phenomenal, upadan. Therefore, it is also said in the Shruti that some portion of maya is devoid of consciousness, as in the following statement. He, Brahman, became both conscious and devoid of consciousness. So here, Jiva again is, is pointing out that this potency is, is made up, this Shakti, Parinam Shakti, um, has two aspects. And one aspect we can put our fingers on, so to speak. It's it's ingre it's ingredient it's an ingredient aspect. And if we can't put our fingers on it, we can take our mag magnifying glass or our microscope to it, and we can find it and say, "Oh, there it is." No, it's those little pieces that are running around the other little pieces. It's the photons, and it's the electrons, and it's the neutrons, or whatever nomenclature. The Vedas themselves have their own nomenclatures 
for these this constituent ingredient. And then, of course, we have an ingredient in Maya which we can't kind we can't really put our finger on. Uh, time we can't we can't bottle time up. We can't we can't really analyze time. What's really pushing things from one moment to the other, from one day to the other, to the months, to the years, to the lifetimes. And all these other things that we can't put our fingers on, like karma. Where is it? What, what constitutes? I can't, I can't control it. Like the ingredients, I might be able to bottle them up. I might be able to, to build them into something to serve me. But karma, that has to be dealt with in a different way. I can't really control it by, by my external uh, utilization of force. Um, I can still use my willpower, but my willpower has to be used to control myself and how I enact, how I interact with the world around me. And then maybe there's a possibility of getting some control of what's forced upon me by destiny. So destiny, another another magical word for for karma. Uh, going on in select places in prayers and so on, when even the theory of Bivarta, the falsity of the world appearance, is discussed because it is discussed in the Vedas as an auxiliary to knowledge and detachment. The intent is not to show that the universe is redundant, false, or non-essential. Something other than a real modification of Pradhan, or the other word for Pradhan is Brahman, as Jiva has just said. Rather, the intent is to make evident that the notions of I and mine have been falsely superimposed, either on the pure Paramatma, in regard to the universe as a whole, samasti, or upon his ingredient part, the individual self, atma, in regard to the individuated body, vyasti. The universe itself is real, however, having come into being as a result of the modification, parinam, of pradhan, which is an emanation, vyuha, from paramatma. So Jiva here is saying, yes, Vivarta does come up in the Vedas, but why does it come up and how are we to see it when we come across it? When it, there's statements in the Vedas that point to the illusory nature of things. It's like a mirage, the material manifestation. What's being said there is, not that the material manifestation is a mirage, your interaction with the material manifestation, that's the illusion. That's the mirage. You are not that body. It's a fact you are within a body, but that is not your essence. That is not your swarup. What you really are is not that body. And when we look to the universal manifestation, yes, it is a fact. Paramatma has manifested the, all of the cosmos from his very being in a very incomprehensible way. Uh, inconceivable to our logical approach to everything else in the world. And although he has done so, uh, 
manifested this whole material universe. It, it, it is truly not, not his very self. Oh, but then he manifests. The whole conception is there, someone could argue, of the Virat Rupa. In fact, it's there's many, many statements. And the 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 beginning yogi, the neophyte yogi, is encouraged to see that universe as the Lord himself. And these planets are his feet, and these planets are his thighs, and these planets are his head, and these element is this portion and that portion, and this, this manifestation of, of humanity uh, is his arms or is his head, the Brahmas, the Shat Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, the Vaishas, the Sudras are his feet. So all these ways of looking at the universe as a manifestation of the Supreme Paramatma are there in the scripture. But understand, even though this vivarta is being used, it's being used to get, get across a point. And the point is that Paramatma is behind everything. And without his energy, nothing is possible. He makes everything move. But is this manifestation directly his internality of being, his swarup? No. But we can see the manifestation in as coming from him and all the different variety that we experience in the world from the elements to the planets to the segments of humanity, we can see that as coming forth from his powers, from his unlimited shaktis. So he's behind everything, but still he's not everything inconceivably. The real world, the world is a real transformation of Prodan. In this context, it is to be understood that in the case of Paramatma, the purpose of pointing out such false superimposition is to enable the worship of his cosmic feature as Varat, as understood from scripture. Whereas in the case of the self, Atma, the purpose is ultimately to bring about absorption in individual identity as the pure self, distinct from the body and so on. So where we use this vivart, where it's put forth, this vivarta understanding, it's put forth in, those, in the scriptures in order to accomplish a deeper understanding of the distinction between matter and spirit. And that spirit really is the driving force, force both individually and cosmically. Maya's relation to the jiva and paramatma. Bhagavan's impartiality and intention in regard to the creative act. In this section of the Paramatma Sandarbha, uh, there is a deep dive by Jiva Goswami into understanding the nature of the material manifestation and the Lord's relationship with it and the Lord's relationship with the creative act itself. And in this section, Jiva reveals a very interesting and amazing Gaudiya conception. 
So we'll hopefully be able to walk through this. This, this comes at the very end of the Paramatma Sandarbha. And as we know, this Paramatma Sandarbha deals with the world that we, we're in. So this is a great place for us to start on our, on our road to spiritual revelation. And then how do we see the whole world? It, what, what was it, is this just a playground that God made for us? What, what is the real intention of the Supreme Lord behind the creative act? And how does he maintain impartiality in the material manifestation? Because that's not what we see at all. We see a world of unlimited dualities, unlimited gradations from the microbes up to the, to the, to the demigods that control everything. Sure seems like Bhagavan is, is, is certainly, if all these jivas, if all these spiritual sparks of conscious energy, which are of his same nature, are coming from him, it sure seems with all the variety in the world, uh, in the different bodies and in the different positions within the different species, it sure seems that, that, there, that the world itself, which is a Shakti of the Supreme, is certainly showing some great partiality uh, to these jivas in a myriad of different ways. So how to reconcile that? And really, is the world just, what's, what's the reasoning behind it? So let's read a little of these Anuchetas. Uh, this, this section of the Paramatma Sandarbha is a very deep dive. It deep, deals with deep philosophical points, uh, which we could spend months unpacking and studying but we're going to continue with our 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 basic overview of the three beginning sandarbhas in these classes and proceed on to the krishna sandarbha and do our deep deep dive there but um th this is this is here for our exploration for all of your you to enter into if you if you want to go deeper in the philosophy hopefully just bringing out some of these point, points will will spur your imag your your inquiry to the point where you just you can't live without going deeper in this way although the conclusion regarding bhagavan's threefold cosmic play leela of creation and so on has been undertaken in a general way, it is now elaborated again in a specific manner by addressing various objections according to the principle of driving a post, stuna nikanana nyaya. A question is raised. Does the Supreme Lord himself personally appear or not as the avatars who descend in the course of his cosmic play of sustaining the universe? And does he or does he not perform the various leelas of these avatars about which we hear, such as siding with the gods, suras, by exhibiting a smile expressive of his pleasure, or by granting them fearlessness, <clears throat> or by killing the asuras by doing battle with them? If he does, then not only would the objection raised earlier because, become verified that he is influenced by the gunas, but he would also be subject to the flaw of favoritism toward the devas. If he does not, then all these avatars and their leelas are shown to be not part of Bhagavan's essential nature, and thus the previously accepted conclusion falls to pieces. So Jiva's going to the heart of a very 
interesting philosophical point. If God does descend in the world, when he descends, we see through his play within the material manifestation in his various avatars, a definite favoritism. And his favoritism is not towards the mode of ignorance and the people situated there. His favoritism is towards the people in the mode of in the mode of goodness. He favors the demigods. So he's influenced by the gunas of material nature, is he not? He, he's taking a side for goodness and against evil, against ignorance. So, therefore, he, he is showing favoritism. Favoritism within the material realm definitely is indicative of such favoritism is indicative of duality. One side is plus and one side is minus. Jiva Goswami proceeds to give us some insight as to how to unpack an understanding of what actually is the spiritual reality regarding the Lord's avataric descents. He continues, the answer is as follows. It is true that Parameshwar does nothing at all to sustain the universe, but he manifests various avatars and leelas exclusively through the display of his intrinsic potency, Swarup Shakti to give pleasure to the Vaikuntha associates who descend with him, as well as to the devotees among the devas engaged in universal administration, and to other devotees not directly involved in these pastimes. So although Krishna pointed out to Arjuna, yada yadahi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata, whenever and wherever there is a decline of religion, which means a, a, a predominance of the negative side, the duality of good and evil, uh, I descend myself. But it's being pointed out here that his descent has nothing to do with the maintenance of the universal affairs. Those are going on automatically. Well, there, therefore, there must be an internal reason for his descent. Since his descent is not a requirement for universal management and maintenance, he does this descent to give pleasure, as pointed out by Jiva here, to his Vaikuntha associates who, associate, who descend with him, as well as to the devotees among the devas, among those administrators who do sort out the good from the evil within human society. Amongst those personalities, he is showing, he is manifesting his pastimes for their pleasure. Now, of course, they are so surrendered that they're thinking, well, without your descent, I'm incompetent to do anything as far as my worldly duties. That is simply their display of humility. But he's really there simply to manifest and exchange loving reciprocation with them and with other devotees in the world. 
Now, Jiva's going to take this point even further. In this way, Bhagavan is free from these blemishes, the blemishes of partiality within the world and involvement in the modes of material nature. And it has been shown that favoring his devotees is an act of the essence of the intrinsic potency, Sharup Shakti. So Bhagavan's personally, so Bhagavan personally performs all those leelas in various avatars only through his intrinsic potency and only to give delight to his devotees. Whereas the sustenance of the cosmos is thereby accomplished of its own accord. This being established, Vidura's question as to how Bhagavan can become involved with the gunas and actions of Prakriti, even as a matter of cosmic play, does not stand. Uh, again, I remind you that I have pulled out certain sections from the Anuchedas. These Anuchedas and the portions that I pulled out are in a context of a larger presentation by Jiva Goswami, wherein there's been quotes from the Bhagavatam that have been gradually unpacked. So therefore, we see here that Jiva had earlier, before coming to this portion of Anucheta 93, as we can see, it's part five, and it's not all of part five, it's a small part of part five, uh, where he is elaborating on the discussion between Madura, uh, uh, Vidura and Maitreya in the Bhagavatam, where these items are discussed. Now we're going to jump ahead. to the 102nd Anucheta, where we get to this core Gaudiya understanding that Jiva Goswami has made at the end of his Paramahasana Very interesting, very Gaudiya, very much core to an understanding of the non-involvement of the Supreme Lord in the external manifestation directly. His involvement is as follows. In this way, Sukadev has concluded that the purpose of Bhagavan's own personal leelas, such as fighting with the Asuras, is only to give delight to the devotees and that the, and that the sustenance of the cosmos, Pralana, occurs automatically as a subsidiary outcome from it. Now, in order to remove all doubts in regard to the purpose, even of Bhagavan's other acts, such as glancing upon Prakriti at the onset of creation and withdrawing his glance during the period of dissolution, Sukadev affirms the non-distinction of Bhagavan's three acts of creation, sustenance, and dissolution by applying the principle of extrapolation as follows. When the Supreme Self desired to create bodies for himself, then from out of the elite, uh, equilibrated state of the three gunas, he, separate, he separately brought forth rajas from his maya potency. Then Iswara wishes to sport in these manifold forms. He manifests sattva, and when on the verge of going to sleep, he impels Thomas. Again, Jiva completely unpacks this verse in the Bhagavatam and uses it as he explained he would in the Tattva Sandarbha. How's he, how's he going to treat the verses of the Bhagavatam they themselves are the sutras from which he will derive the explanations arrived at in relation to the Bhagavatam discourse according to the great 
Sridhar Swami and other commentators, and then he will put forth his explanation that brings out the essence of both the sutra itself, the Bhagavatam verses, the explanations of the commentators, the great commentators on the Bhagavatam, and put it all in the context of the Siddhanta of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that Siddhanta that is core to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's dispensation that allows us entrance according to that high conception of the Supreme Lord. And we're going to enter into that conception as we go into the Krishna Sandarbha. So again, we, we look to these first three Sandarbhas, Tattva, Bhagavat, and Paramatma are an unpacking of the verse, Vedanti tat tat bhavidas tatvam yas jnanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti sabjate. So that's the first, first three sandarbhas. We're coming to an end of the paramatma, the third of those sandarbhas. And then we enter into the next verse, which elaborates if we're going to look at the transcendence and if we're going to see that it's approached differently through the eyes of various transcendentalists, of all those conceptions, the Bhagavat conception is, is all-inclusive, is inclusive the, of the other two ideals of Paramatma and Brahman. Now, when we look to Bhagavan, then he himself has unlimited manifestations on the in the transcendental realm, which from time to time, upon different occasions, descend into the material world with their whole their whole dom, their transcendental abode itself comes and all their attorney, uh, eternal associates also descend with them in these various manifestations. And we, when we look to these various avataric descents of all of them that were explained in the beginning of the Bhagavatam, that was right at the beginning. Sutta Goswami put forth the various avatars. And then he said, of all these various avatars, Krishna to Bhagavan Swayam. Lord Sri Krishna, he is the Swayam Bhagavan, the original supreme personality of Godhead. So we come now to the gradually to the heart of, of, of this Gaudiya understanding. The word yada, when, here refers to the specific time in which Bhagavan's own volitional act of creation is characterized. The words isi para means the supreme regulator, parameshwar, the compound swamayaya, by his maya, in this, case, in this case means out of compassion for his devotees. The bodies, pura, that he desires to create refer to the physical forms of the not yet perfected practicing devotees, sadhakas, 
from the previous cycle of creation, that he desires to create such forms for himself, Atmana, means that he longs to make them the seats of his own abiding, since the practicing devotees were dissolved in him along with Prakriti during the period of dissolution. He glances at Prakriti in order to bring about their appearance. Again, this is just a little port. There's, a, there's much to this Anucheta. This little part um, is, is highlighting the fact that when the Lord has a desire that results in his glancing upon material nature that's not manifest, his very essence, which he manifests into the material, material cosmos, impregnates with the jivas. Why does he do that? Jiva's saying, this is why. He does it because when he wrapped up that whole material manifestation and pulled it back into his very being, along with all those jivas, there were some devotees there that had not reached spiritual perfection yet. Well, he wants their perfection. He wants to have a complete and total loving relationship with them. He wants them to be able to completely culture their love for him. He wants that love to grow. Uh, and in order to, to facilitate that, well, they still have some some residual longing also for material desire, some material desires, some material enjoyments. So therefore, he manifests the universe, and he gives them facility to wrap up all that karma and continue in their life as sadhikas, as practicing devotees so that they can reach perfection. This is amazing. Jiva Goswami says, this is the reason for creation. This is why there is a material manifestation and why there is a continual cycling, because there'll always be devotees in this position and therefore, there'll always be a manifestation of the material universes. So I am going to wrap up our discussion for today here at this point. Uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, we will certainly attempt to address them. And as I explained, we will proceed in our next class uh, to go into the deep dive of the Krishna Sandarbha as to end this expansion of this wonderful verse, Iti Chamsa Kala Pumsa Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam Indrari Vyakulam Lokam Mridayanti Yuge Yuge. Again and again, these avatars descend. But Lord Krishna, he is the source, Swayam Bhagavan of all. So I see there's no question. I sincerely thank you for your kind association.
Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Oh, uh-huh.